gonna get Once lived a man named Crazy Bill. He actually had a lot of nicknames. After he got arrested in 1976 for conspiracy to overthrow the U.S. government by violent means, the people at his factory job started calling him Boom Boom Willie. He loved to tell that story. As a matter of fact, he told that to both of us on this podcast, Two Brothers. This episode will be about Crazy Bill's final days. Hey, Jay Bear, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. So let's start at the end. What's your last memory of our dad? My last memory of dad actually was the night before he died. Um, I went into the hospice that he was staying at. Yeah. And for a visit. And he wasn't really lucid with me. He was just kind of mumbling and grasping out with his arms. It was which is how I've been seeing him a lot lately around that time, like not really speaking, just sort of gesturing wildly. Yeah, no, he didn't really talk at the end. What's the last time? Do you remember when was the last time you heard him talk? I remember there was some kind of wacky conversations on the phone, like where he was like, oh, did you and your brother steal that watch? And then the, you and I talked about it and it was because of all the morphine he was on or whatever. Um like he was basically talking nonsense. Did he talk? Like, did he make coherent sentences once he was in hospice? I think he did at the beginning. Um, yeah. I don't really remember any conversations we had specifically what he said, but it seems kind of like somewhere back there in my memory, he was at least saying a few sentences. Right. And I know he, I know you know this story, but I know he told Carrie, um, you don't need to waste your time visiting an old man on his deathbed. Right. Which in a weird sort of way made me feel better because I was always like, does he know he's on his deathbed or not? Yeah. You, right. And, and you know, and I, I think we need to explain that like our dad was always like had this kind of morbid sense of humor and was always like, you know, darkness, darkness, be my pillow. And, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I'll tell you, I think for me, like, I won't, I won't say the hardest thing, but like something that I had a hard time wrapping my head around was how brave he seemed about his own demise during most of his life. But then at the end, I didn't know if he was kind of like facing it head on, like I had kind of imagined he would. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. I mean, it's sort of like that saying there's no atheist in a foxhole. Right. Yeah. You can be brave about the end, but until up and until it actually happens. But when it starts happening, then you kind of start to freak out, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you live. So let's see, were you guys living together before he went into hospice? Well, before he went into hospice, he was at that um, long term care facility. Right. Which he had come to from the hospital. But before Up on he got. 24th or something like that? 24th in Virginia or Oak. Yep. Oh, and is that the one I had to call and like not yell at them, but talk to them about some stuff? What? Can you refresh my memory? I have a terrible memory, as you know. 
Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what you had to yell at them about, but I, that does sound familiar. Yeah, probably might have been something to do with his medication or his meals, probably. Yeah. I'm not really sure. And then, so when was the last time you and dad lived together? Because we should probably go through a little bit of the timeline. It, you know, I, I think it'd probably be worthwhile just kind of the context, because once he gets to hospice, like you called me and I know, okay, you know, you were like, yeah, this is, you know, there are no checkout policies from a hospice. Like the hospice is basically like your last stop, you know, there's no checkout at noon or anything or right. Kind of like the hotel California. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the permanent checkout. Yeah. The last, sorry, the last time no, we no, lived together ahead. was, um, right before he had got hospitalized a couple of months before that. So it would have been in April of 2015. And April I was, yeah, yeah, I was staying with him at that apartment. Help that him. little, that little apartment on Indian School mm-hmm. and Seventh Avenue. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so what was he like? What was he? What's your take on kind of what he was thinking and feeling? You know, like at the beginning of 2015. Well, he had told me a few times at the beginning of 2015 that he had full confidence that he would get better. Mm-hmm. And that his doctors told him he was doing really great. Yeah. Which I just sort of knew in my heart of hearts wasn't the case, just from what I was seeing on the ground. Do you think he really thought he was getting better? Or do you think he just was kind of telling that telling us that to put on a brave face? Like I really don't know. I had the sense when he would say it that he believed in it. Yeah. No, I think so too. Cause I know that you and I had talked on the phone cause a lot of, you know, there's a couple of times he mentioned like, Oh, I'm going to be able to get this portable oxygen generator from Medicare that I can just plug into the car and hopefully I'll be able to go camping again. And a lot of ways, I think for us, that was kind of, the, you know, because I mean, you know, I, I remember the end of 2013, I was like, dude, I don't know how to say this, but I don't think dad's going to make it through 2014. And we said the same thing at the end of 2014. I mean, we kind of knew that his time on earth was very limited. Yes, absolutely. But he seemed, and then I remember you asked, I think in a phone, you're like, should I tell him something when he talks about, yeah, we're going to be able to go camping again. And do you remember what my take was? I do, but I'm just curious if you do. I don't. I can probably guess what your take would be just to sort of be cautiously optimistic, but I don't remember exactly. I think I think I was like, I think he's wrong, but if that gives him some comfort, then who are we to take that away from him? You know, we're not the Grim Reaper ourselves, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it's count on camp. Don't, you know, don't look forward to any of this stuff. It's probably never going to happen because, <laughs> you know, these, these are your final days, Bill. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because one time I actually, when he gave me like his cheery outlook, I actually asked him like, not in so many words, but do the doctors agree with you? You know, do they share your confidence? And he'd be like, oh, yes, yes, they think I'm doing great. I'd kind of be like, well, I don't know what they're seeing that we're not, but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so what was it like living with him those last couple months before he kind of went to the hospital again and then basically never came out, like went from, you know, long hospital stays is that how it went down? Like, so how did it go mm-hmm. down? So, so first of all, so what was it like living with him? Like, what was life like for you then? It was real cool. Um, we had a lot of, we spent a lot of good quality time together. We would have a lot of good conversations. Um, I had just started that job at that one, um, right. 
you know, was helping him out. I felt good about that. And I was happy at the time because like we just talked about, I kind of knew he was on his way out. And I was glad that he was having a lot of visitors over and was being able to spend a lot of good time with me and, you know, talk to you when he wanted to. Yeah. No, I remember. I know he slept a lot, but yes, when he wasn't sleeping, he was at least talkative. Like he had to nap every couple hours. It felt like, which you know, I mean, I'm if it was up to me, I'd nap every couple hours. I think <laughs> I know we're a family of nappers and a family of sleepers. But I mean, sure. with him, it was kind of terminal. Like I mean, right. well, no pun intended, but yeah. no pun intended. Um, what was I gonna say? And then, dude, like, what was his what was his diet like? Like, was he doing stuff to get healthier? Because I mean, I have a very vivid memory of visiting him around that time. I think it was, you know, the time that he gave um, Zoe, my daughter, a ride on his electric wheelchair. And I remember he like he had this like weird, um, like cigarette holder type thing. Um, and I think you're on mute right now. Oh yeah, there you are. So. Uh, he had this long cigarette holder type thing so that he could keep his oxygen in his nose, but then smoke a cigarette at the same, it was like this ghetto, I don't even know. <laughs> like, what, what was it like? I mean, did he do stuff to actually get better? Or was he just like, Oh, I'm just going to smoke cigarettes, but just not have the, you know, I'll just like basically smoke c- cigarettes through a straw. So I don't blow myself <laughs> up. Well, his thing was he would do things marginally. Like he would still go to McDonald's and get two double cheeseburgers, but he would have the people not put salt on it. So he thought that was part of his ticket to longevity. (laughs) (laughs) And instead of smoking two packs a day, maybe smoking a half a pack or one pack. Oh, really? Okay. So, I mean, so he did make like, I mean, for him, that's actually huge progress. He did make some real conscious effort in a way. For him, I mean, not for for reality, but. (laughs) (laughs) Not for people living in reality. Right. Um, I mean, and did you feel that? Like, or were you not surprised because you had spent so much, like, were you a little bit like, Hey, I thought this was the guy who was like darkness, darkness, be my pillow. And here he is like kind of seemingly not facing his own demise. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's just that because dad had always been so like, I don't want to say careless, but kind of like brave about his impending doom, you know, that I guess I was, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I was kind of (laughs) like, No, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, is that what happens? Like, you can be all brave and like, come get me, old Grim Reaper and all this stuff. And then at the end, you're like, did you feel that? Or or because because you kind of saw it more incrementally? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, overall, I did feel that. I think it just goes back to what I was saying about it's all fine and dandy to think about it in the abstract. But once you turn that corner and you start seeing it, it's a totally different thing. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, so, and, and then at the hospital, so he, yeah, I remember he like, so also kind of refresh my, so he goes to the hospital in April or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. And then what happens? So he stayed there. I want to say a couple weeks or so. And basically I went over to visit him one night and he told me that the doctors can't figure out what's wrong with him and that they're going to admit him to that long ter- long-term care facility and he, you know him he was just kind of feeling sorry for himself and like oh they're giving up on me son mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Because he kept having all these problems. Then he finally went. And then let's talk a little bit about that guy at the long term care facility because he was a little bit of a character. Bruce, yeah. What do you remember about Bruce? Bruce was definitely a character. He sort of shared dad's rosy optimism about his outcome. And when I found out he got admitted there, I went over there because I was his medical power of attorney at the time and I had to sign a bunch of documents. And he was trying to tell me like, oh, he's just going to be here for a little while. Hopefully he'll get better and we can get him out of here. And I was like, you know, I was like, well, you know me, I was kind of being timid but also i think i was probably grinning a little bit because i was like well i thought you don't really get out of these places and he was like well that's a misconception but you know if he doesn't get out of here he can at least stay here for a few years and that because of everything i'd been seeing i was just knowing that that wasn't gonna happen right yeah um and then, so once he did go into the hospitals, you were just in his place by yourself. What was that like? Yeah, I was just there by myself. It was fine. Um, I missed him, but I just started the new job, like I was saying. And, right. And honestly, on my day-to-day life, it didn't really change a whole lot. Um, I felt, you know, a little more personal space, but. I missed him and was worried about him. And was his apartment messy? Because I know he would try to straighten it up a little bit before we came. But like, I mean, something that, you know, listeners should understand is that our dad was a hoarder, like kind of like a real hoarder. Before hoarders like, were cool. Be- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Before they made it on TV. So like, what was it like? Was he still hoarding or did he not have the energy to hoard in quite the same way? He didn't have the energy to hoard, but he was definitely messy. Um, yeah. But I did notice that he wouldn't object as much when I tried to clean, you know, compared right. to when we were younger. And I remember trying to clean one day and he'd be like, son, this is the living room, not the cleaning room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which just kind of says it all. Exactly. And then do you remember that one time before I took that big that trip to Israel he, we were like eating in the airport and then, you know, cause this is pre nine 11 we were all eating together. And when there was this one time, I can't remember when, but we were eating at a, like an airport or at a McDonald's or whatever somewhere. And then he started like shoving things of ketchup and straws and like creamers in his pocket. Do you remember this? Yeah. I think if I remember right, that was right when you went to Japan. Okay. And it was at, um, the airport mcdonald's or burger king yeah and he was hoarding all these utensils and napkins and straws and you were just so embarrassed i think you can say like dad do you really have to do this now well and it's and i think i was like do you are you really gonna use all these like, mm-hmm. what are you doing i was just kind of like what are you doing he's just so like nonchalant <laughs> just like shoving like what are you doing he's like oh i'm gonna use these someday and i guess it kind of makes sense but it's kind of like i don't know yeah. Kind of makes more sense if you're living in a park and those things are hard to come by. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, and then 
like, tell me a little bit, like, when did you learn about the anarchists? So, so, you know, uh, you know, you and I and dad grew up together in the same house in, you know, downtown Phoenix, Arizona, dad had to move out. Then he kind of bounced between a few different places, if I remember right, before he finally got an apartment with you. Where did he move first once he had to move from his house? And do you remember anything about that, him moving out of his house because he just couldn't? Why did he do like, what was the official reason for him moving out of his house? Like, I'm not sure I'm clear on that. To be honest, I'm not sure I'm clear on that either. I just know one day he was living at the house and then he told me that due to medical reasons, he had to move to his sister's or at Julie's. And when I try to get details on what medical reasons meant, it just kind of, he just kind of got all vague. Um, if you remember though, right around that time, he had told us that he it was discovered that he had had a couple of heart attacks right yeah so i don't know if that knocked him out even more and he just couldn't manage in a house by himself but his first the first place that he went was with his sister our aunt julie and then how long was he there because i know that didn't end so well (laughs) (laughs) to put it lightly yeah um he was there want to say about a year that's right two at the did, most but something did, like that. did you stay there for a little while too i can't remember yeah i stayed there right around the time i got divorced when we were separated right and yeah. was dad there as well or no he, at the beginning remember. he was yes okay and then so did she kick him out while you were living there as well yes so tell me what happened from what from like from your perspective well, she had gotten increasingly annoyed with him because he was starting to turn her house into his old house. Right. Because so he had a room, right, that he didn't leave that often, I don't think. Right. But then, like, I think, didn't she discover, like, <laughs> his piss jars? <laughs> yep. His his Powerade bottles and <laughs> jars. It took too much energy for him to go to the bathroom, so he would piss in those and leave them all over. And also, the, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Also, she was annoyed just because he wasn't cleaning up after himself at all in the kitchen. And he would just say like, oh, I'm really sick. I can't. And then it would just go back and forth like, well, you can do this and that. And you have piss jars lying around the house and you're up cooking. And so that was kind of the beginning of it. And then it just escalated more and more. Um And, you know, our dad accused her of having addictions to gambling and meth, which, you know, to someone putting you in their house probably wouldn't go over that well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, And I know that the way I found out that she was kicking him out was I was on my, you know, me and my wife and my like one year old at the time were in the car with a couple friends going up to wine country because I live in Northern, I live in uh, the Bay area. We're driving up to wine country and I get this call from dad and he's like, son, I was like, yeah, dad. He's like, I'm moving out of your aunt Julie's house. Uh, she tells me that I'm not welcome there anymore and I'm a little busy with the move. So, uh, I'm wondering if you can do me a favor. I was like, yeah, sure. Dad, what could you please call the Scottsdale police and report elder (laughs) abuse? I was like, report elder. Did she hit you? No son, but she's throwing me out onto the street. I was like, dad, uh, 
<laughs> I was like, I don't want to get between you and Aunt Julie. I said, you know, if you believe it's elder abuse, call the police yourself and you talk to the police directly. I'm not going to be like a middleman between you and the police. And you, you have a cell phone, just dial 911 and tell them what's going on. He's like, okay, son. Well, I understand, I guess. Well, I better go. I have a lot to do. <laughs> And, and then he went to, and, and I guess, you know, to back up just a teeny tiny little bit, this was another thing that I wouldn't say I had my, had a hard time wrapping my head around, but like dad seemed so self-sufficient and it's, it's fine. Like, it's not that I, you know, because, you know, because he had his health problems, I didn't at all look down on him for needing to live at other people's places, mm -hmm. but it kind of felt like he took advantage a little bit. Um, you think? <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Yeah, so where's the next place he lived? Why don't you describe where he moved and how that went? So after their big blowout, he moved to his friend Tabitha, um, a younger lady. He moved into her house and it started off great there. Um, they got along, but eventually sort of the same issues arose. Like she would find his piss jars. Yeah. He was kind of being a slob. Yeah. But that was the first place. And then how did she ask him to leave? Do you know? Like, I don't even know if I know. I don't even know if I know anymore. I just know that the drama between them had just been increasing. And, you know, kind of like with your call, he called me one day and said, son, she's not been a very good friend. Now I have to find another place to live. And he asked me to, sorry, but he asked me to, um, you know, do the legwork and find him an apartment and stuff. And did you, and, 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 mm -hmm. and the funny thing is like, I was surprised that that turned out like that because supposedly she was the started off with her modeling lingerie for him. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess. Yeah. He, he told me that she would buy new lingerie and model it around the house room. Sounds like a nice situation. I mean, dude, to me, it sounds like something you wouldn't want to mess up. Yeah, exactly. But and then and then so you did the legwork and then where did he wind up after that? Didn't he wind up that one one friend's house for a little bit? I can't remember. No, after Tabitha's. Um, so he gave me some parameters to work with, like a budget and kind of what he was looking for. And, you know, with him, it wasn't like the sky's the limit budget. It was as cheap right. as we'll have a roof over my head. Right. So he ended up at that place on Indian school, seventh Avenue. I see. And then did he start living there alone or were you getting divorced? Like what was going on in your life around this time? So I was still living at Julie's. Um, okay. I lived there for another few months or so. Um, and at that point the divorce was finalized and right. You know, I was just working on working and my custody case with my kids. Right. And how was it living at Julie's, by the way? It was okay. You know, she yeah. mainly, she mainly kept to herself. Um, it was fine. Okay. Yeah. I so took his you, old room. Sorry. Did you have to clean it up? Yeah. Which was it like pretty bad? Not the most pleasant thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So you guys move in together. He slept in the living room and you had your own room. Is Correct. that right? Yep. All right. Uh, and then, so 
then in the meantime, there's all this kind of crazy stuff. So, oh, but, oh, but before I move off that, so like, what do you think? Like, do you think he was kind of taking advantage of people? Like, why do you think he was like that? Because he always was so self-sufficient, was always the person that was helping others. And then it kind of felt like he was kind of taking advantage of people's kindness for a while. Like, well, am I wrong? Am I harsh? Like, what's your take? I mean, I think that's how it would seem to most people looking in. I think to him, it was more just a, a case of where he was so set in his old ways that he didn't realize that when somebody takes you in, you kind of have to like bend to their desires about what that should be like and what you should do as for your end of the deal. Right. And I know that he was often fond of telling you, was it around this time he told you that like, living in a cave had like ruined him forever. How did that, what would tell me that? First of all, describe like the what living in a cave means. And then tell me like what he said, the effect on his life was. So back in the 1960s in Arizona, he went up camping to do some gold prospecting nearby. And the way I remember it is he found a cave that he liked and he would literally live in the cave. Right. Right. And right. come out sometimes and go to town for supplies or whatnot or ammo. But he would just live in his cave and do prospecting. And then years later, he would always tell us that living in that cave for all those months, I don't remember if it was like five or six months, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But he said that that kind of ruined him to civilization and that he just kind of keep up and clean you know, would, and yeah yeah no he would tell me a lot of times that those were the happiest i mean he you know he had some really kind of neat stories he said he would he had a little he found a little mine where he got enough gold to every two or three weeks like take you know half you know a hundred bucks worth of gold into town sell it and just buy basically like baked beans and just like necessities and ammo for his 22. He would wake up every morning, you know, before dawn and, you know, hunt rabbits. And he was really just kind of living this, you know, what's that guy that gone? No, not gone wild. Gone wild is something else. What's that? Like that McCandles dude. That's for another episode. Um, Into the wild. (laughs) Into the wild. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was kind of like a McCandles dude, but kind of the desert version. And he told me also that the yes. the local bookmobile knew like to stop kind of at the nearest desert road for like, you know, half an hour every Thursday at three o'clock. And he would borrow books from the from the library, like from their bookmobile that kind of just went out and I guess you know, let all these desert rats like borrow books. Uh, all these literal cavemen. Booga <laughs> <laughs> booga, me no read. Me need lots of pictures. <laughs> so, so do you think that's what it was? That he was just so set in his ways from you know living in a cave. You know, then you know he was married to her mom. You know, briefly, like four-ish years or something. Yeah. Then his parents, after he got divorced, his parents came and lived with him and you know, probably just kind of like, like, I'm sure, I mean, I was there when grandma, you know, when I first moved to move in with dad, when I was 13, you know, grandma was still alive and there. And like, he kind of got to live like a teenager, like kind of do what he wanted, come and go as he pleased, or, you know, like an older teenager or very young adult, she would make dinner, she would clean. I, you know, I, he probably didn't realize how much he'd kind of just depended on her to do those necessities. 
Right. Do you think he used the cave as an excuse or do you think that was legitimate? Do you think he just wanted to be that way and kind of looked for any excuse he could? I mean, I think that really more than living in the cave for six months, it was, you know, having his mother live with him for, you know, from probably, I think like 76 to not, you know, for 15, 16, 17 years. And so during his, you know, he was 23 or 24 when I was born. So like 25 when you were born, uh, and he was probably like 26, 27 when grandma moved in, grandma and grandpa moved in. So, you know, although it's, it's less dramatic to be like, Oh, I, I basically became too reliant on my mom to do everything for me. You know what I mean? Like, the cave is a better store. So does that answer your question? Like, I, I honestly think it was more that just like learned, like learned, I don't want to say helplessness, but he was almost like institutionalized in a weird way. And that's a lot less fun and dramatic than like, oh yeah, I'm ru- like, I, I have, I have outgrown civilization. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And he definitely liked to um, tell stories. So that completely makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, oh, so what I was going to say, so do you, so do you think he was taking advantage or do you just think he just was so kind of set in his ways? It didn't seem like he's like, I'm just being me, but I'm not, they're giving me a hard time. Like, I think he was just being him. Okay. I don't think he was intentionally. Do you? No, I don't think he was intentionally, but you know, he would just always talk so much about like, you know, manners and like, you know, being polite and being kind that especially as he got like more and more set in his ways. Like, you know, I would ask him to put on a clean shirt when he would come over for like, you know, the new year's Eve little get together at my, at my mother-in-law's house. And not because, you know, it's like, I, it wasn't even like, I didn't even say dress up. Just like, can you put on a clean shirt? Because it just seems rude to come into somebody else's home with like very dirty clothes, like the clothes you've been wearing for two weeks. Yeah. And he just saw that as like, you know, shamelessly bougie. Well, I don't know if you remember, but when my daughter was born, he would come over to visit whenever he would be in San Francisco and come over really filthy and stinking. And I would ask him if he could take a shower. And oh, he, I don't remember. he took great umbrage at that. And he was like, oh, I shouldn't have to be clean to see my granddaughter. Then it somehow he tried to twist it to like, we had a cat at the time and that cats are dirty, even though I tried to explain that cats are fastidious cleaners and he just tried to make some weird connection with that and then was got really mad and wouldn't talk to me for a couple months oh that's right yeah i vaguely remember that you should have been like hey do cats piss in gatorade bottles (laughs) (laughs) exactly because yeah his his stench was awful no it was i not it was like and it just literally bring tears to your eyes sometimes no and the older he got just the more he kind of let himself go. Like, you know, when I first moved in with him and then, you know, grandma left cause she basically got like pissed. Um, did I ever tell you like what exactly happened? I remember kind of like what happened. So like he was baking brownies and I think he was a little bit drunk. I can't remember, but it was a weekend. So it was a great Probably chance. A he was. Yeah. And then she's like, so he had been like smoking in the kitchen, baking brownies. It was like a Sunday night, you know, we're all watching TV. And then somehow she's like, did you check your brownies bill? 
And he's like, what? Like, no. And he's like, don't worry about my damn brownies. <laughs> and then she got on like a terror. And I think she like started cleaning up like right then and there. And was like, okay, they're going to burn. And he's like, he's like, don't throw my ashtray away right now. You're going to start a fire. So then she like started a fire, like accidentally started a small fire. And it was just kind of chaos. And he's like, I don't know if he said it to me. I know that the next morning he's like, man, can't even make brownies on his own damn house. <laughs> She's like, son, you might as well cut my balls off. And I was like, okay. I think she didn't want fucking crispy brownies. <laughs> man. Wasn't there so, some story, sorry, wasn't there some story no. about a remote too, which set him off around that time? Vaguely. I don't remember it. Do you? I don't. Probably just something like she put place. it where he didn't want it and he flew off the handle about it. Something. I mean, dude, it was the living room, not the cleaning room. So she was doing some cleaning in there. Yeah. She, Lord she have was, mercy. She was stepping out of bounds, <laughs> man. Stepping out of line. Um so oh and then, so what I wanted to say was like so in the meantime of all this like moving from place to place, you know, moving out of his own house. Our house, the house we grew up in, got broken into. Like went, like so. So that was kind of happening in the meantime. So dad still owned this home, but then supposedly some squatters came. Like, can you kind of like just pretend I didn't know any of this before and, and tell me like kind of what happened with the house? So some squatters came. I don't remember to be honest how they were discovered, but they came. And he had discovered that they had stolen a bunch of his stuff. Um, like a lot of his guns. A lot of his and guns. And actually some yeah. of my old guns. Right. Yeah. That shotgun of grandpa's that you had been looking yeah. forward to getting one day. Yeah. 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 So then he boarded up the house. Right. Right. And then somehow he met these like this anarchist collective in based in Tempe, Arizona. And like, so how did that go down that like the he decided that they could redo the house and if he could live there like what what was that deal do you remember yeah so that was kind of weird because he had been having the whole time i'd been living there he'd been having like a certain group of friends come over and hang out and they all seemed cool and then all of a sudden one day at the apartment right at the apartment yeah yeah and then one day these new people came and i had just gotten home from a walk and you know i was friendly enough but later when they left i was asking him who those people were and you know kind of what the story was yeah and yeah they were a anarchist collective here in tempe and he said that he really liked the work they were doing and they had reached a deal to sort of use his house as their headquarters and that they would fix it up right and like much to their credit they did they did yeah they did and do you think if dad would have lived because i mean basically he died maybe about a month before people could have like lived there again do you think he just would have moved back into that house and just kind of like kept a room and like do you ever think about that because well, it's it's like the timing of things just kind of like just didn't work out mm -hmm. well that was the plan all along that eventually when he got better medically right whenever that was he was gonna move in there again right yeah so, so i know he was looking forward to that yeah so you know so he dies and like can you describe to me what happened the day you found out he died 
So I. So you saw him the night before. He wasn't very coherent. No, no, not. Yeah, and then I'll tell you about the day before for me. I mean, I was. I mean, you know, I went and visited. You know, you, you told me that it, like the end was basically near. I went out about a week before. I would go visit him. You know, pretty much every day. I know I visited him the day before he died, and uh, I told Sean I was like dude, you should come see my dad. And he's like, okay, yeah, maybe today. And then he texts me. He's like, oh yeah, I can't make it today. I was like, uh, okay, man, if you can make it this evening, you, you might want to. And he texts me. He's like, oh, is it one of those? Like, if I want to see your dad again, I need to come right now. I was like, yeah, it yeah. kind of is. Yeah. So, you know, me and dad listened to Baker's Banquet, one of his favorite, uh, Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones albums. We listened to Let It Bleed, another one. And he couldn't really, talk, you know, he wasn't, he couldn't talk at all. But I just remember like during the stones, he kind of like during like, you know, sympathy mm -hmm. to the devil, he would kind of like do his like finger motion, like, oh yeah. yeah. But you know, with his eyes closed and stuff. Uh, so then what happened? Like, how did you find out he died? So I had just showed up to this relatively new job and um, I hadn't even clocked in yet. And I got a call from Bruce, the guy at the hospice. And I didn't answer it. I didn't know that he had called, but I saw he left a message and I listened to it and he was crying kind of in his like kind of weird, but kind of charming way. Like he was like, seemed legitimately surprised. Really? He, what did he, how did he sound? Can you do, can you do his voice? He was just like, Oh, Jesse, this is Bruce from the hospice. Oh, I can't believe this, but your dad passed away this morning. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know I told you I thought he'd be around. I don't know what happened. I was just kind of chuckling and were a little you like, bit. Like, were you like, yeah, and I know I told you that that's not how <laughs> hospices work. And you're the guy who owns one. And I'm just like, you know, yeah. my, this is my first experience. Yeah, exactly. So I then mean, what? I mean, once I started hearing the message and heard him crying, I knew what had happened. So, right. you know, I just shot a real quick message to my manager and headed over there and waited for um, you and your wife and your daughter to come. Yeah, because we were staying in a hotel downtown in downtown Phoenix, the uh, the Clarendon, Clarendon is that yep. where we were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the forty foot hot tub, which is pretty awesome. But yeah, like I told you that I was just gonna keep my phone on at night, and then I think at like eight in the morning you called and like yeah, I mean I was just like, is that it? And you're like, yeah. So yeah, then I rushed over there, and he was still in his bed, um, and I remember peaceful. looking very peaceful. And I remember Zoe, you know, it was my wife and my daughter and, you know, my wife had kept my daughter kind of out in the living room because the guy who owned the, owned the hospice had this like little four-year-old or, you know, little girl and like my, my little daughter would play with her sometimes. And then she wandered in and saw, you know, Papa Bull sleeping or dead or whatever. She didn't really ask. She just kind of looked and, you know, I held her, um, but like, I remember when I was in kindergarten, I mean, I was a little older than she was at the time, but do you remember seeing our, our great grandma Peters, great grandma Peters on her deathbed? I like do. That? Wasn't she in a rocking chair is how I remember it. But uh, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah. I, I actually think you're right. Yeah. And, and frankly, like I'm, I've always thought that I'm really glad I got to see, I think I was in, I think it was the summer between kindergarten and first grade, or maybe I was already in first grade. But I don't know, in a weird sort of way, like, I think that was actually good for me to see a, see a dead person when I was younger. Do you ever think about that? Like whether that was good or bad or what? 
No, I can't say anything about whether it's good or bad. I do have that memory, though, that I think about sometimes. Yeah, I I think it was I think it was good because, like, I realized, like, yeah, people die and you got to you got to make, you know, you got to make 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 it count. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do remember, though, with that memory, our grandma not being very upset. And that kind of surprised me because, you know, how she was kind of stoic. Yeah. But I but, you know. Grandma Peters was also like, not, I mean, she had lived a very full life. Yeah. You know, she was born before, definitely before there were airplanes. And I think she was born like before wherever she was born, like had electricity. I mean, talk about, you know, she died in 1980 and I think she was 90. So she was born in like 1890 or she was 92. Right. So dude, imagine that. Imagine like remembering when it turned from 1899 to 1900 and then dying in 1980 when there's like phones and like computers and uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like yeah. she saw a tremendous amount of change and both world wars right. and Vietnam right. and Korea, you know, the moon landing, the moon landing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, should we, is there anything more on the anarchists? You know, part of me wonders if the anarchists would make just a whole different episode to kind of get into all that stuff. Might not be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I will tell, so yeah. So Zoe saw Papa Bull dead. And then I remember the, do you remember the guy? I don't know if he was a mortician, but the guy who came and grabbed dad. I do. From the funeral home. He was kind of wacky too. He was, but didn't we end up, end up kind of liking him at the end? Yeah, at the end. He definitely had a weird vibe at first. Yeah, he did. He had a weird vibe at first. Like, what was it? Like, how would you describe him? Very cold and sterile, I thought. Yeah. But then at the end, he kind of loosened up and was, like, talking more real to us, from what I remember. Yeah, I remember it was nice. He was about to wheel Dad out, and he, like, gave us a minute with him. Do you remember what you said to Dad, what you did? Didn't I say, like, I'll see you soon or something? And Patty yeah, his chest. You, yeah, you, you said, see you soon. <laughs> <his chest. laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, mean that literally. Just, you know, no. bigger in the big picture. Yeah. No, it's 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 cool. Uh, and then I know that, did we go to the funeral home, like, that very next, that very day? We went. I think we did. Later that day, yeah, because I took the day off of work, obviously. We drove out to the funeral home in Mesa and um, we're looking at urns. Yeah. And do you remember we asked him? um, The big Lebowski. Did we ask, didn't we ask him like, was that your most reasonable model? Or did we, or did we ask him if he had any bowling themed? um, Like what what did we say to him? Do you remember? I don't remember exactly, but I think it was more like bowling themed. Yeah. And we somehow told him about Big Lebowski or... Which he had never seen. Yeah. Which kind of a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I remembered I went back the next day because he had some of dad's remains. Or maybe two or three days later, Uh I brought Alain. I just remember like, so dad had on that little metal bracelet around his... uh, around his wrist that he died with. And then he gave that to me in a little plastic bag. And I know Alan was very like shook up kind of, I, cause I think it made it like that much more real to her. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. How did you feel like after dad died? I was sad. I think I felt, I don't want to say more sad, but sad in a different way leading up to that, just seeing him so sick and like, 
you know, yeah, not well. No, I've often thought that like, you know, especially now that I have kids, if I could go slowly and painfully or quickly and painlessly for myself, I would go slowly. Uh, I would go for my, if, it, if I didn't have kids, I'd want like the quick and painful or quick and painless, but in a weird sort of way, like I think you give your, you give your kids like a real gift if they have a little bit more time to wrap their heads around things. I agree for sure. Yeah. And do you remember what he said? Towards the end of our first meeting with him, that funeral parlor guy. No. He was, he gave us like a tip or something. I don't know if you want to call it advice, but he's like, yeah, guys, just know one day could be five, 10 years from now, you'll be driving down the road and you'll hear a song that maybe even doesn't remind you of him, but like all these emotions will come back really hard. Cause he said, that's what happened to him. And he said, like, he's heard from other people. I, I think yeah. about that. Yeah. Like, when is that going to happen? Has that not really happened yet for you? I mean, not what he describes like a random, like, right. Cause he was saying he got pulled over by the police and yeah, they showed him compassion, but that it was weird. Yeah. But I mean, also like our dad's decline was so slow and like not, not so slow, but it was pretty damn slow because I mean, I would say the last, what, four years of his life, he was just kind of on a gradual decline or was it even longer than that? I I don't even remember. I mean, we're all kind of on a gradual decline from the day we're born, (laughs) but I mean, okay, Bill, (laughs) he channeled me for a second. Um, but no, it was more like the last three years. Like once he had started having those heart attacks. Yeah. And then that started slow, but then towards like the last year or two was going faster. It seemed. Yeah. You know, it definitely felt like the last year or two was, kind of accelerating like so i know like the first year when you know he had his heart attacks or somehow they found out that he had had his heart attacks he would kind of get up and then kind of like something else would happen get up it was kind of like bouncing up and down but like that last year year and a half it was kind of like there was never any really good news it was just all bad news um and then yeah so then we had his the anarchists had cleaned up his place and we're going to turn it into like a kind of a community social services type spot. And that's where we had his uh, funeral. Do you remember, do you remember anything about his funeral that sticks out with you? Just all the people that came and I thought it was cool how, you know, a bunch of people told stories. Um, yeah, it was neat. Yeah, it was. And it was also cool how there was a um, journalist from the, from the Arizona Republic who wrote it up, which yeah, is pretty cool. super cool. Um, I don't know. What else should we talk about? I don't know. I feel like that's, at least as far as his, you know, his final days, we've covered it pretty well. Do you have any final thoughts or any final stories you want to share? Um... I don't know. Can I make a request? Sure. That if you ever come visit me in the hospice, don't play any songs that have like devils or demons in them. (laughs) (laughs) I've thought about that for a while. Like, man, not that it was bad, but I was like, that would freak my ass out. (laughs) 
Uh, so it's funny, I because uh, my younger son likes to actually scare my older daughter, uh, like with like say like, oh, was that a ghost? And freak mm-hmm. her out. And I'm like, oh, it's funny because I used to love freaking Jesse out with with ghosts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. What would my request be? I mean, I already, you know, I I don't think I've shared it. I know that before I went into, I'd never gone under before, you know, earlier this year, you know, January, 2020, I, I had surgery where I went under the first time. And I know, didn't I share my advanced directive with you? <laughs> For your music choice at your memorial? I've shared, I, I know I've shared that, but I even like, like if you're in pain, I know that my instructions are just like more morphine. More morphine, like, yeah. More morphine. Like if you think it's enough, it's probably not more. <laughs> <laughs> all right man rule of thumb not a, exactly it's a great rule of thumb yeah um but do you think about that i mean do you think do you think it was kind of like his last like i always think of it as like dad's last in a lot of ways best gift as a father was going slowly do you think of it like that or not really i can't say i've thought of that before but i think you're right So yeah, yeah, maybe I'll start thinking of it like that. Well, I just do think that we had a lot of time to wrap our heads around it. And he, you know, he even lasted longer than we thought, like based on his trajectory. So, so yeah. And I know I won't forget, like dad did tell me once, you know, one night, I think he was at Julie's or that Tabitha girls that he had to call the paramedics because he felt like he was having a heart attack. And he's like, I'll tell you what, son, when it starts feeling like really real, like you're like, if I don't reach this phone in time, that's the end. He's like, let me tell you, that's a fear that I hope you don't feel for a long time. So he basically admitted like, yeah, like, man, when it gets real, all your, all your philosophy and fancy talk kind of flies out the window. Yeah, no doubt. So, which I can understand. Oh, I wanted to ask you one thing I thought of, if that's sure. okay. Of course. Did he tell you before he went into the hospice, when you told him you were going to come there, like right when he got admitted that you shouldn't come down for every stuffy nose or sniffle? Yeah, he did. Um, I mean, it was kind of funny. Dad had like a funny, like he, you know, I would get these phone calls like, Hey son, I'm about to have surgery tomorrow, but don't worry. I just wanted to let you know. It's like on the one hand, he kind of don't want to make a big deal, but on the other hand, he wanted to let me know. I mean, he probably, that was probably him just working out his, like in a lot of ways he was kind of forced to work out his fears and, you know, who he wanted to be and who he really was, what he wanted to feel and what he really felt. He was kind of having to work that out in real time. So yeah, he did. He's like, Oh, you don't have to come out for every, you know, sniffle. I was like, well, dad, I think this is more than a sniffle. He's like, okay. You know, he's like, I know you have a young family now. And I was like, yeah, but we want to see you. So yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sure he was happy. He did. Yeah. Any, uh, final stories or words of advice no no all right cool man well thank you to our listeners for taking this little journey with us we hope you found something useful or at least interesting and we hope you'll join us again on the two brothers one dead dad podcast Mm -hmm.